welcome, 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 welcome to Tabin Libos this evening. My name is David, and my co-host tonight is Eleanor Lumonia. Thank you, Dowdy. Thank you, Dowdy. I am excited to be here, especially discussing a topic that is very close to my heart. A struggle, mm. uh, struggles that I'm sure all of us can identify with. So I'm looking forward to hearing what people will have to share about it today mm-hmm. awesome 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 it's great to have you elena thank you so much for cutting time out of your schedule to be with us thank you guys for coming thank you so much solo i can see your hand cannot keep saying thumbs up derek you are welcome to Calvin Devils. nobody already welcomed you thank you so much uh for being here with us saja and ciao are here kato is here with us and uh era chirabo is here with us great it's a beautiful evening it's a beautiful day it was that god allowed us to enjoy tonight tonight our topic is concerning the word of god being alive that's not the question uh we can be able to debate it's not debatable but sometimes the circumstances choose to tell us something else where you wake up in the morning i don't accept about god's word at all and so you meet someone who is lively and they're telling god's word is alive it's alive and you're thinking to yourself, really? I know most of you, when you looked at the poster, you're wondering, what is that? Why is he putting shoes there? That was a guy who was jumping in excitement about his day. And uh, that's the whole point uh, of God's word being alive. We'll be shouting, we'll be jumping up with joy and saying, the word is alive. But sometimes it does not feel like that, especially now, during this time and moment of... Uh, the world literally turning upside down. Elena, do you feel like that sometimes? Yes, yes, I do. Um, this morning, with friends of mine who were studying uh, Proverbs chapter 1 and just mm. uh, looking at the reasons for why Proverbs was written, uh, for it to provide uh, mm. prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. And I'm thinking, I need all these things, but sometimes they just don't make sense. They just don't make sense. They just don't seem to apply when I need to. So yes, it is a struggle I can identify with. I mean, guys, the question we're answering tonight is what causes that funny feeling of uh, discouragement, especially when it comes to our interaction with God's Word? Who would like to share with us? Uh, please kindly go ahead and share with us your comments. Uh, down in the description uh, right there in the chat just share with us what, what causes that discouragement sometimes when you open god's word and you're not excited at all why do you think that happened why does the bible seem irrelevant uh sometimes ella kirabo is saying at times we just need i mean we just think that what we are going through is too much to relate to the bible especially when spiritually you don't have it together when you don't have it together that is true. Sometimes we think what we're going through just cannot be addressed um, by by God's word. Frankie is saying that uh, when it does not say what we want to hear, and also when it rebukes us when in sin, it is true. No one is looking forward to being rebuked. It's usually a very, very difficult time uh, when that happens. But thank you so much for sharing that with us, uh, Frankie. And also says most of the time, the feeling of guilt is so awful. And Terry is saying down here that when the reality of life does not seem to be in God's word. Interesting. 
Terry, I really wish you were live. I would ask you further questions. If you can, please call in. Terry, if you can, please call in. What, what do you mean the reality of life? Give us an example of reality does, that does not seem to be in God's word. Terry, if you have headphones, if you have a headset, kindly call in. I'll be waiting for you. But Terry is live. Terry, welcome to Cabin Devils. How have you been? I've been very, very well. Uh, it's good to have you guys. It's really exciting. Um, Terry, I hope you guys are go ahead. Well. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and share with me. What do you mean that uh, sometimes the reality does not seem to be in God's word? Would you like to shed some more light? Like they used to say, throw more um, light. <laughs> when you, when uh, there's some, I think the terms when. Well, let me just give a very simple example. Uh, mm. Let's say in business, uh, and you want to understand how you are going to maneuver a specific thing and you're wondering god does your word clearly say do this and do the other yes mm. it's clear on don't make uh, in proverbs where it says um how unfair profits uh it, i don't quote it well but it's something about unfair profits and then mm. um ecclesiastes fairly talks about investing um trying through here through there but it does not exactly say this is what you ought to do. This is what you ought not mm. to do. Like it just lets mm. you be there, and then you have to make the decisions. And sometimes even the harsh part of life, when uh, mm. it's 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 hard when when you you really feel like you want God to speak out loud, but you can't hear Him. Uh, I don't mm. know if that makes sense. It does. It does. I mean, you wish it was you yeah. and like Moses, where he says, "Go." go to this particular yeah, place you know uh, like, and, and, tell, and tell pharaoh this <laughs> all right all right thank you so much thank you so much Steve. that was that was awesome it was great uh to have you call in live and uh, just throw more light and elena welcome back welcome back to the show welcome back to the show it's great to have you back elena kindly open for us uh in prayer close uh, and, and then we'll ask david uh, to call in and share with us from god's word elena all right let's pray Lord, we thank you for yet another opportunity to study your word, to be encouraged, Lord. And like the words in that song, that there is a war between guilt and grace, and they are fighting for a sacred space uh, in each of our lives. But grace wins all the time, and Lord, we are grateful for that grace, even the grace to be able to come and study your word. And we pray even as David opens your word, with us, Lord, we pray that our hearts will indeed be encouraged, that we'll be blessed, that we'll be re-energized even when we leave this place to study your word and find indeed uh, your guidance for our lives. Just then we have prayed. Amen. 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 David, you're welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you, David. Thank you, Al. And uh, thank you all of you that have uh, joined tonight. Uh, I was really trying to think through uh, what to share. Uh, the message that David gave me just took me in all sorts of directions. And so um, I wasn't so sure what direction to take. But however, it's good just listening in to the different uh, contributions and uh, questions that were raised at the beginning of uh, this devotion. Uh, it kind of gave me a clearer direction. So why sometimes God's word seems irrelevant? Um, there are different reasons, really. Um, and, and I know in, in my own life that that has been true, not once, not twice, but several times. Uh, one, one specific time in my life, uh, some time back when um, 
I lost my sister and I, I really had a battle with God. And because I remember before she passed on, I, I, I had claimed a certain verse and, uh, you know, prayed over it and prayed about it. And I was so convinced that that is what God was communicating in, in as far as that situation was concerned. And for me, it was real. I mean, it wasn't just a verse that I took to memorize and uh, was using flippantly, but it's something that I really held on to so dearly and was so convinced that that's what God had uh, for that situation. But unfortunately, my sister passed on during that time, and, and I feel I felt cheated. Uh, I felt like God had shortchanged me. I felt like God had, uh, you know, uh, it, it was not, trustworthy anymore um, and so even as I tried to read God's word at that particular moment it I, I didn't get into it with you know the zeal and the expectation and the excitement that you know I'm, I'm, I'm going to, to, to read from my best friend who has kept his promise um, probably I read it out of formality at that particular moment but I remember God orchestrating several things during that time period uh, that kind of woke me up. So I have been there, and I know I will be there again and again. Um, but but I pray uh, that even as we get to those points, that we never get stuck there. Uh, one of the things that I say is when we are in those moments when we feel we're in a swamp, uh, we, we, we shouldn't become comfortable and, and become part of the weed and, and the reeds, but we at that particular moment should actually seek to uh, get out of it and, and, and look for a way out of it. So talking about God's word being alive, um, it's, a, it's a promise that Second uh, Timothy 3.15 makes. Uh, when you read Second uh, Timothy 3, actually 16 and 17, uh, Paul makes a very, very daring promise there. Uh, he, he talks about the inspiration of God's word, of course, that it has come from God and it is, you know, as long as you use it for doctrine, you use it for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, then he makes the promise in 17 that it will make you and I perfect. In other words, there's a notion of us being imperfect and bringing us towards perfection, uh, bringing us to life. Um, and, and most of the times we tend to equate, uh, you know, the word being alive is when things are okay, things are perfect, uh, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, and things are okay. That's when we say, you know what, God's word is alive. Uh, you, you study something, and uh, maybe it's talking about forgiveness, and then you, you, you take the step and you use it uh, to go and, and, and reconcile with someone, and then that whole reconciliation process ends up in you hugging each other and doing all sorts of things. You take each other out for coffee, and then you say, you know what? God's word is alive. But that's not necessarily how it usually plays out, right? Uh, there are times when it doesn't feel like it's alive. And I guess that's the question that was being asked. What do I do? Well, I decided to go to uh, the Gospels and look at Jesus Christ himself. I think he, he's the best example for us. Um, and here's one thing that uh, even as I was studying the passage that I'm going to be looking at uh, uh, this evening, I realized that 
if God's word is not alive for me, and it is not bringing life to me, even how I communicate it, it is going to reflect that. It's not going to bring life to other people, especially for those of us who are in ministry. I will, yes, I will try and spice up my, my preaching and my teaching with all these nice illustrations and try and impress people, but that's as far as it will go. It will just reach the people's heads and they'll be impressed, but it will not bring life to the people that are listening. But when you look at the example of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 4, um, as, as he went about um, in his ministry in Luke chapter 4, there's several times when he had the opportunity to share God's word, to preach God's word. It brought life to the listeners. They were able to identify and it resonated with their hearts and it brought them to life. I mean, you look at the descriptions that it gives of his audience. In verse 15 of Luke chapter 4, it says, And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. As in when they heard him, they glorified God. You know, it's something that they had never heard it before. It was alive to them. And then he got another opportunity to share God's word again. In Nazareth, he moves to another place. And in verse 20, it captures the reaction of the people. Verse 20 says, and he closed the book after reading it, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. The expectation, as in he read it, and it was so alive to the people. They were sitting with expectation. You know, sometimes, you know, I teach the Bible, and sometimes I wish that's how my class is. I walk into the class and, you know, it's like, oh, no, not again. Uh, but Jesus Christ, it wasn't like that. For him, he just read it. Even before he expounded on it, there was that expectation. Their hearts and their spirits were ready. They were activated. They were brought to life. And he began to say, verse 21, and he started expositing the passage. Verse 22 tells us, And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? You can already see the effect it was having on them. And then later on, uh, in verse 28, it says, And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. There were those, it came alive and it convicted them. And they decided, listen, this guy, uh, we have to do something about it. And, and we are told how they took him out of the city to stone him and how somehow he went through that. And then in verse 32, we see it says, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. So what made Jesus' teaching so unique? I mean, the things that he was sharing were not so different from what the Pharisees and the scribes so expertly studied and were so expertly expositing to these people. And if you notice, Jesus Christ is doing this teaching in the synagogue where the teachers of the law used to carry out their tread of teaching and, 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 you know, and instructing people. But when Jesus steps into the temple and opens God's word, it came alive. It affected people in different ways. Uh, recently I was sharing with some people um, when Jesus Christ was walking with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and later on had a meal with them. And after he had shared it with them, 
you know, that the, what they said after he had disappeared is, didn't our hearts burn within us? You know, uh, that when God's word is open, we want our hearts to burn within us so that our hearts are not numb. And I guess that's what we are saying. There are times when I sit and I interact with God's word, I don't get these reactions. I don't feel like, you know, um, you know, it has power. I don't feel like it is gracious. I don't feel like my heart is burning. Sometimes it feels like I'm going through the motions, just like the Pharisees, as they shared with the people. It was just an ordinary thing, and it became a burden um, that they were laying upon the people. But what made the difference? I am convinced that before he started this preaching ministry of his, the difference was in the first few verses of Luke 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, all the way to verse... Um, <clears throat> all the way to verse uh, 13, captures the temptation of Jesus Christ. It captures him in that moment that you and I sometimes find ourselves in. In that moment when life changes suddenly, when, when God orchestrates things and then things are turned upside down. It captures those moments. That's the moment that Jesus Christ is in. Listen to verse 1. It says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan. Okay? I mean, he, his, Jordan was an, a, an, an exciting thing. That's where the baptism took place. And was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I'll be honest with you. When my sister passed on, that was a wilderness. And some of us probably are in that particular moment and you face those moments when you felt you are in the wilderness. And that's the moment when God's word really does not make sense. It doesn't match up with the reality, like Derek said. Um, and you begin to question, you know, where is God in all this? And, and, and I am convinced that those moments when I uh, tend to find God's word dry and it's not alive, it is in those moments when I forget, okay, when I forget who has brought me to that particular place. I know some people don't subscribe to this. I know some of us, you know, maybe our teaching, our doctrine is such that, you know, God cannot allow us to be, you know, brought through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, God cannot be the one responsible for allowing trials to come in our lives. But that's the truth. Listen, read that verse again. It says, and Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So the first step, when I find myself finding God's word dry, not meaning anything, I need to slap myself and wake up and realize it is God who has me there. And he has me there for a reason. Things don't just happen accidentally. With a sovereign God, everything is ordered specially for a reason. It might be a tragic event. It might be a very unpleasant event. It might be, but it doesn't remove the fact that God is right in the middle of it. So how do I deal with this? Instead of forgetting who was me there, I need to realize who has brought me to that place because that's exactly what Jesus does. And then not only is he brought to the wilderness, verse 2 says, being 40 days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did 
eat nothing. As in, not only was he brought to the wilderness, but he was exposed to some very extreme conditions. Okay? Not the day one that he got there to the wilderness and he said, oh, wow, this place is dry and what? No, no, no. It tells us he was there for 40 days, being exposed to the elements. And some of us, we probably give up in our 10th day in the wilderness and we say, okay, enough is enough. It's time to try something else. And you know, the interesting thing is that that's what the devil offered Jesus Christ. He offered him alternatives. Um, and we see three times the devil giving him alternatives and Jesus Christ does not take the bait. Okay, even if the devil shrouds the alternative with God's word, he does not take the bait. You know, most of the times I, I find myself not resonating with, with, with God's word or God's word not resonating with my heart. It is those moments when I'm in those, in the wilderness moment, right? And I begin to doubt whether God really is there. I begin to doubt whether God really is on my side. And then I begin to contemplate the different alternatives that are available. And, and, and maybe some of you can identify at the beginning of the crisis, you know, you get all sorts of advice and you say, you know, we know so and so you can do this. Uh, some of you who are drivers, maybe the alternative might be, you know, you bribe and then it takes you to other, another thing and another thing and another thing. And, and, and soon the alternatives tend to drown God's word because the alternatives seem to be working. I mean, you think about it. If Jesus Christ decided to take the stone and turn it into bread, it would have worked. It would have dealt with the hunger, right? It would have. And, and, and right in the moment of you taking that stone and turning it into bread to deal with the issue, sometimes it does cloud God's word. And, and, and especially when it is not in line with what God has asked us to do. And slowly you find yourself, even when you approach God's word after having bribed the traffic policeman, uh, your quiet time is not the same. Or you compromise in one area or another, uh, trying to deal with the wilderness situation. Yeah, God's word, I, I can assure you, it, it, it doesn't resonate, it's not alive, because something else is alive at that particular moment. But I like what the book of Hebrews says in, in chapter 12 when it's talking about uh, Moses who did not take the bait of, of staying in Egypt because he realized that it only lasted but for a season. And so you go through this whole narrative and, and you find that Jesus Christ, one, did not forget who had him there. Number two, he did not take the bait. Um, and, and, and decided that, you know, whatever the devil was going to offer, whatever the situation, the circumstance was going to offer, he was not going to take it. Here's the third thing uh, that I, 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 I believe was helpful for Jesus. You see, as the devil was trying to provide the different alternatives, he shrouded and covered it and sugarcoated it with bits of scripture. But Jesus Christ, because he was grounded in Scripture, because he's the author of a Scripture, he did not, you know, take up the half-baked truth. You know, 
<clears throat> when I began sharing, I talked about my sister and how I actually, you know, got a verse and I had bested uh, in that situation that I was in at that particular moment and as far as my family was concerned. You know, right now, once in a while, I go back to that verse and I shake my head. I shake my head because I had used it out of context. I shake my head because it totally did not have <coughs> any relation with the situation I was going through. But yet it's a verse I had had over and over and over again. Jesus Christ did not take half-backed truth and tried to go through the wilderness moment. He was committed to the truth and the whole truth. And every time he got half-backed information, he countered it with the whole counsel of God's word. He countered it with what the scriptures actually said. So what do I learn from this? One, when I find myself in those moments, usually it is circumstances that bring about the dryness in, 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 in my view of God's word. And sometimes it's not even bad circumstances. Sometimes it's good circumstances. When I'm going through patches of success and I tend to forget God and I think everything that has gone on well is because of what I have done, I need to remember who has brought me there whether it is success, whether it is a tragedy, I need not forget and remember he that has brought me there. Number two, I need to be mindful of whatever baits I'm taking as a substitute to what God is calling me in his word to do. Most of the times when <clears throat> God's word is not playing any role, playing any role in my life, it's because there's something else I've taken. Sometimes it can be work. You know, I'm so busy spending so much time late at night working. Very early in the morning, I am waking up to go and do something good for God. I've taken the bait. And I've begun to rely on that rather than relying on God's word. So I need to ask myself, what bait have I taken instead? Number three, I need to ask myself, what half-baked truths am I surviving on right now? What half-baked truths am I trying to put and apply in my life right now? And then do what Christ did in this whole narrative. He persisted. Even when he was in that wilderness moment, even when he was stretched to the limit, even when things were enticing for him, he persisted in God's word. So the trick is to persist, to stay in. Yes, 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 it doesn't, but persist. Um, and there are people who say, but why should you continue even when they say, you just persist, you persist, you persist. And if, if, if truly God's word is that double-edged sword, a moment will come and with the power of God and his spirit behind his word, it will begin to have an effect, but we must persist. When we are in those moments, it's not the time for us to run away. It is a time for us to cling even much more um, to his word. And you capture that in, in David, in some of the, of the Psalms that David writes when he gets to the point and he reflects on the theology that they had right then is that 
If you clung to God's word, then blessings will come your way. And if you violated God's law, then curses would come your way. But when David looked at what was going on, he saw that the wicked were prospering. And it didn't make sense. The word was not alive. And instead, he that committed himself to keeping God's word, things were not going well for him. But it's interesting, in all those verses where he's lamenting, the end of all those you know, psalms, David still goes back to the same Lord who does not make sense. And that's what Jesus Christ does. He still persists in God's word. So, my friends, when we find ourselves in those wilderness moments or even the wildly nice moments that tend to take away from uh, us uh, realizing the truth of God's word and it becoming alive, may we be reminded of these things. May we remember who has us there. May we remember not to take the bait. And if we have taken the bait to you know, allow God to speak to us, to allow the inspired God uh, word of God that is profitable for doctrine, that is profitable for reproof, for teaching, so that we are made perfect. And may we be mindful not to take half-backed truth and try to move with it um, and, and mixed with all sorts of psychology. But also may we be reminded to persist. When you find yourself, when things don't make sense, that's the moment you should really, really, really persist in God's word. Not to run away from it, but to persist in it. And you know, it tells us when Jesus Christ did these things, it's interesting, um, in verse 13 says, and when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Interesting, it says for a season. Your victory today does not guarantee you not being faced with another wilderness moment. So this is going to be a lifestyle, I mean a lifetime uh, process, a lifetime struggle. Um, some of you might be wondering, but how come this happens over and over and over again? Is there going to be a time when uh, probably God's word is always going to be fresh 24-7? I doubt it. Okay, I doubt it. That this will be a struggle you and I will face until we reach perfection when we are called home. Uh, um, so those, those are the, you know, the things that I, I was able to get from this passage. And, and, and I hope they will be helpful to someone here. And I hope I am reminded of these things when, when I get in those moments when uh, life is dry. Thank you so much, David, uh, for sharing that with us. Please stay online uh, for a bit uh, because there's a couple of our comments that came in. And I think that uh, as you're reading that passage, it, it became some answers for me came to me. But I think this can also be a bait that uh, we sometimes take and uh, literally swallow. And this comes from a couple of people here. One of them was Chow, uh, who was asking a question later on. I think McLean contributed to where there is this uh, situation where you begin to observe those who, um, and I want to put it in quotes, who have it together. Uh, and I would say those who we look up to and do not seem to 
uh, live by the word. And Charles put it this way, he said, when those that preach it don't live by it, um, we, we sometimes get discouraged and we don't think that is something that can happen. Now, I know we are, be, we are thinking of all of this in relation to a personal relationship that we have with God, not to look around uh, in that sense. But that can be a challenge. I do not know if the passage you read uh, today answers it because, I mean, the Pharisees were spiritual leaders uh, in Israel and uh, they never seemed yeah. to, to have it together. But that is not what Christ looked at. Of course, in this situation, he is God. He is the truth. But I, I know this is also not unique to us only. We look around and sometimes we want to blame another person uh, for our habits or lifestyle. And it's easy to do that, especially if you look at them for an example. But how have you, how have you handled that? Uh, what would you say would be the solution to a dilemma like that, David? I think you, you also answered it. Uh, we need to remember that uh, I'm, I'm not, I, I did not get saved so that I can compare myself to others. And, and actually mm. Hebrews, Hebrews 13 is the one that says, you know, looking to the author, you know, we look up to Jesus Christ, not to look at other people. Yes, it talks about the different witnesses that have set an example for us. But mm. when it comes to admonishing us on how we need to react to those examples that have been set to before us, we need to look up to Jesus, not to look up to your mentor, not to look up to other people. But here's the other mm. thing that I need to say. It's interesting. I was asked the same question uh, this past weekend. I was doing a, mm. a seminar somewhere. And um, this is what I told them. Each mm. one of us is on a journey. And we are all at different parts of that journey. And, and, and the stage at which we are in in the journey is irrespective of your title. It is irrespective of how long you've been saved. It is irrespective of how much you have studied that you can actually find a toddler in Christianity, okay, that has studied so much. And yet you find someone who has matured, who is a long way ahead in their spiritual walk that has never stepped into a theological school. So we need to be reminded, even as we look at these individuals, uh, that they are on a journey as well. As long as they are truly saved, they are on a journey. And it doesn't matter what they have before them in terms of titles, responsibility, and all these you know, stars that we tend to give each other as Christians, that those are irrelevant. What really matters is, where they are on that journey. And so it is not going to be surprising to find a David Chiravira that you think teaches, you know, Bible survey and does all these things, that actually when you interact with him, he's a baby Christian. When you come to his home, he's abusing his wife, he's, you know, irresponsible in the way he deals with finances. It is possible. It is possible for this. But this does not mean that we should be discouraged. Instead, you know, pray for these people. Some of you probably are even more mature than your pastors. <laughs> you know, um, I'm reminded a few months ago, one of our team members went to talk to a pastor about doing an evangelism seminar in his church, and the pastor ended up being saved. And this is a pastor who had been pastoring a church mm. for 10 years. Uh, I mean, how, how, how do you explain that? That we are all in the journey to perfection when Christ calls us back and we are all at different levels. The foolish thing is to look to your side 
to look to the back, to those you think you have done better than. Um, <clears throat> but the best and the wisest thing that Hebrews 13 uh, 2 tells us is to focus on Christ. Focus on Christ. I don't know whether that answers. Amen. I mean, uh, yes, yes, it does. I mean, we talked about his journey and he just kind of brought everything together. I don't know what Elena thinks, but you imagine being discouraged because someone at that point in their journey is not doing well, so you begin to live differently away from God because of them. And then somehow they get up because it's a moment when they've learned their lessons and you, you're off to another trail because you watched them at a point when God was working at them and getting them up on their feet. But that's the only picture you saw. You never saw the full picture of what God is trying to do uh, in their lives. And so thank you so much, David. I think it makes a lot of sense to know that each one of us is on a journey. We cannot point fingers. Uh, it's not excuse uh, for us, the leaders, but we need to understand that each one of us is on a journey. Each one of us is on a journey. You know, thank you so much, you, David. You know, when you mentioned yep. that, I'm reminded of, uh, you know, uh, Paul Tripp, he, he, he talks about those mm. moments that God allows, you know, us to fall sometimes to create those moments of us waking up uh, that sometimes we become relaxed and so complacent and he allows us to fall. And some of the falls are very huge, but those are moments of grace. Those are moments of growth for that individual. Uh, those are moments of reflection for that individual. And like you say, me the outsider, I may look at that and I say, oh, man, if this guy could do this, then who else could do that? And then I'm reminded when I was in uh, secondary school, there's this chaplain we had. I looked up to him. I mm. really admired him. And then uh, I think this was my S1. Halfway through S1, the guy was dismissed. He was a drunk. He had made his, his maid pregnant. And that was a moment of crisis for me. Uh, if, if there was anything like backsliding, I think for me, that was it. That was the moment because I said, if this guy could do this, then who am I? Why do I even try? Why should I try with this Christianity thing? But I remember at that moment, God just making me realize, no, it's not about other people. It's about me. And I think that's when Hebrews actually 13, 1 and 2 really resonated in my life. And I really had to wrestle with that to be reminded that I need to look up to him and not look at other, you know, sojourners who are either falling or crawling. Um, if I'm in a position to help them, I should help them. If I'm not in a position to help them, then I just need to pray for them and move on and allow the Spirit of God to bring them to the moment where they can stand back up and continue the journey by His grace. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, David. It's It's been great. Um, I mean, my mind just became wild uh, when, when you were talking. And uh, I just want to read this for us. When you talked about persisting and people are thinking, why are we persisting? Why are we persisting? It's not making sense. Proverbs 2, and I think Aina alluded to this at the beginning, says in verse 1, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment, I think that's prayer right there. And it says, if you lift up your voice for understanding, and then look at verse 4, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. 
and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up some wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then, in verse 9, then you'll understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. And that passage goes on and on. But it's interesting that sometimes I think we want to look at God's world with mediocrity. We don't want to invest time and resources and uh, energy into finding this truth. So thank you so much, uh, David, for sharing that with us. Ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to the end of our time together. It's uh, four minutes to ten, and uh, I'm really glad that you came. I'm really glad that you're here. Thank you so much uh, for being with us. I'd like to ask maybe one last question. If you are here for the first time, this is your first time to Cup in Devils, kindly, kindly give us a thumbs up. Give us a thumbs up in the chat right now. Just put your thumb up, and I would like to know if you're here for the first time. The thumbs up looks something like that. Give me a thumbs up if you're here for the first time. If you're here for the first time, it looks like all of us are oldies. <laughs> but it's great to have you. David, allow me to pray as we as we close. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father, for your word that is alive, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing through bone and marrow and revealing every intent of the heart, like your word says. We are grateful that today we're able to talk about you, we'll talk about what you say, and we pray that uh, tomorrow morning, or even tonight, we will reflect on that truth and may it be alive in us. Thank you so much. Um, we pray for a safe night as we go to sleep. Allow us to uh, meditate on your truth because you say we need to think about these things as we lie down, as we get up. And may that be true of us uh, tonight. We pray for a fruitful day tomorrow. Allow us to serve without complaining uh, that we will give the best that we've got because we can do all things through you who gives us strength. Allow us to depend on you again tomorrow. We're grateful and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.